The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man. What a day of basketball it was. I kind of like this Sunday full day of games last day of the season but then all of the relevant teams that are competing playing at the same time i thought that was a pretty fun format and to spread it out starting at about like 10 o'clock a.m pacific time going all the way until 8 30 was really cool and i was able to go to that warriors memphis game as well we got a lot of stuff to discuss i really wish that it didn't make sense to do this in chronological order because that clippers thunder game <laughs> deserves like its own like five part podcast series it deserves a 30 for 30 just on the ridiculousness of that goddamn game but but i i I mean just please please just stick around till the end when we discuss that because it is going to be exceedingly exceedingly hilarious okay let's start here with washington and charlotte and we got news yesterday that bradley beal was listed as questionable and i thought it unlikely that beal was going to come back given scott brooks's comments earlier in the week that he wasn't walking well when the injury first happened and he just had started doing stuff and i thought maybe they're just listing him as questionable just to mess with the hornets preparation the hornets played yesterday against new york lost a, a real bummer uh, of an overtime game to the knicks yesterday which sadly we don't have uh, time to talk about uh well, actually, I'll, I'll discuss that very briefly because it did matter. Charlotte ending ending up now getting the 10th seed, losing to Washington. They obviously could have avoided that and also pushed the Knicks down to six with the win on Saturday. And Miles Bridges is back. Remember, we thought maybe we just wouldn't see him again, but apparently uh, he had a milder case of COVID-19. So he was back right away. Dennis Schroeder has been right back uh, also for the Lakers at this point. Though and, Schroeder claims that he didn't have COVID. Oh my God. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that's so ridiculous that we have to discuss that at some point too but uh so getting miles bridges back was huge because they had just it had been had nothing really on the wings at all in terms of athleticism and bridges i mean he's he looked great in both of these games he was playing really hard had four blocks in the washington game uh neither team could score it on the end of re- regulation in the charlotte knicks game only three points were scored in like the last four minutes of the game um Devontae graham had a three that could have won it and then they took Cody Zeller out to start the OT. He had been guarding Julius Randle and doing a really nice job on him. And Randle completely killed PJ Washington. He he got a foul on him. Then he drove, set up two wide open three pointers for the Knicks. They were up eight, and that was it. So uh, also Charlotte closed with 
Lamelo actually on the bench. He had had a really poor game. They closed it out with Graham, uh, Jalen McDaniels, and Bridges. So that set us up for today's game, and yeah, Bradley I'll, Beal did in fact play. He did, and I uh, so Beal he kind of defied my expectations a couple times. First of all, by playing, and then that first stretch, I think it was you know he was in for a couple minutes, and then he came out and was like, well, he tried, didn't look good, and just wondered if that was it. But Beal ended up playing 35 minutes, and it wasn't necessarily his most efficient game individually, but he was on the floor for some of the best stretches that the Wizards had, had a couple of big baskets late, and yeah, the, the significance of this game to kind of t- set that stage, the winner of this game got the eight seed facing the Celtics in the kind of the better the better side of the play in bracket. You only have to win one out of two games, and the loser faces Indiana in, as the 10 seed, assuming Indiana was going to beat the Raptors, which they did. And kind of like what you talked about to an extent with Miles Bridges returning, part of what having Beal around did was that it allowed Scott Brooks to play. I mean, they didn't play a narrow rotation, but not have to give as many minutes to more limited players. No, that that definitely helped uh, as well. And get to my notes uh, on this one. I mean, Beal started 0 for 6 in that first stint. And it seemed clear to me watching him that, you know, the the hamstring kind of does two things. Like there's, when you're doing a full-on sprint, there's that aspect of the hamstring where you actually like causes your leg to flux, your, your knee to flex. Like there's that part of it. And then there's also the hamstring of using it for explosive movements and jumping as well. And it seemed like to me that for Beal, the part of the hamstring that he had injured must have been the part that was more important in running, that flexion aspect. Because when he tried to run full speed, that's really what he couldn't do. He couldn't like get up and down the floor in transition. He actually looked okay making like a couple of quick dribbles. Yeah, yeah, that, up, yeah, that one late where he totally shook Terry Rozier in transition. Yeah, yeah, but like he just couldn't really sprint the floor was the thing that was holding back. But clearly he wouldn't have been playing were it a regular season game and honestly probably not even game one or two of a playoff series, I would guess. I mean, I would say he wasn't quite as hampered as like Chris Paul on his hamstring back in uh, game seven of 2015. In, against the Spurs, but it was pretty. It was pretty close to that uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he, he was two of eleven at halftime. Westbrook was awful in the first half as well. And so what bailed them out was Robin Lopez, eighteen points, nine of eleven from the field, four offensive rebounds, plus twenty one. Ish Smith, fourteen points, seven of eleven from the field, oh one from three, seven assists plus 15 those two guys got them back into it in the second quarter got them back into it in the fourth quarter lopez was unstoppable in the post and borrego really wanted to go with pj washington at center to juice their offense and he just couldn't because robin lopez was killing them in the post and of his buckets pretty much every single one was a left shoulder hook shot fred katz has written about this obviously but on one play the the one play where he posted up on the right block he actually started off right shoulder and then didn't up and under to go under uh back to his right hand but everything else basically was a hook shot and they just couldn't stop him it was amazing i mean it, when he got to his left shoulder it was just completely unstoppable and it's funny i remember going back to 2008 when he and brooke lopez were playing the same stanford team brooke lopez posted up every single time on the left block and robin lopez posted up every single time on the, uh, or i'm sorry brooke lopez posted up every time on the right block and robin lopez posts up every time on the left block and so he gets to that hook shot and he's just like he never misses it it's completely insane 
uh and then smith hit a bunch of big jumpers as well that was really important so uh and then they also got back into it in the fourth with garrison matthews who had a foul and a rebound and that's it but was plus 14 in eight minutes and they put him in because they just couldn't get any space and they tried chandler hutchinson they tried uh anthony gill and then they put matthews in and they were able that's actually when they were able to get out in transition finally charlotte's transition defense had been awesome throughout the game but then when you actually had someone to respect preda tweeted about this there's a great point when you had someone to respect at the three-point arc in transition other than bertans now it was open for westbrook and westbrook was relentless in the fourth quarter just driving in getting fouled uh but he had the space to work with which was a, a big change from earlier in the game yeah absolutely and i thought the the for me the pivotal stretch of the game charlotte ended the third quarter up by 11 90 to 79 and then lopez was on the floor beal was on the floor westbrook was on the floor i believe garrison matthews was out there too and the wizards I mean, you could think of either part of this being important. So they're down, they're down 90 to 79. They end up in four minutes tying the game at 94-94. So that is a 15 to four run for the for the Wizards. I thought their defense was good. They were getting plenty of stops around the basket with Robin Lopez. Also, the the Pel, sorry, the Hornets, different team there, uh, missed a couple of a couple of pretty clean looks from three. But once you got to that point, and then they got back, and it certainly was nip and tuck after that. But I thought it was that group bringing the game back into touch that fundamentally changed things yeah and it was a fascinating rubber band effect in this game charlotte gets out early 36 22 after the first quarter they were hitting everything there were seven of their first 11 from three and it basically they weren't getting anything at the rim the whiz on the other hand weren't getting anything from three until the very end but their two-point percentage was a lot better charlotte was shooting under 50 percent from two basically the whole game and so when charlotte would go on a run of making their threes they would push it out to 10 or or 13 and then the whiz would get back into it that happened at halftime then it happened early in the third then it happened late in the third for charlotte to get their biggest lead at 15 they're up 11 as you mentioned at the start of the fourth so there are really three different sequences like that but then the whiz were able to finally get back into it and charlotte never got another period where they could hit a shot and like it in that game against new york yesterday they just could not hit a shot down the end so the hornets got to 110 on a cody zeller floater off the pick and roll leading at 110 109 and then they didn't score again uh, with 312 yeah, the remaining they didn't more. score they, only yeah, scored, they didn't score in the final 312 they only scored once in the final four and a half minutes of the game um yeah. no it's was, it was pretty ugly and they, i mean they got some great looks from three like lamello pulled a paul george off the side of the backboard on an open corner three claimed that he got hit on the on the elbow and they even had a great look from Devonte graham with 13.2 left when they moved it around he was wide open from the right wing to tie it at 113 and he just ganked it so that was that was pretty rough for charlotte uh you know bridges i thought played exceedingly hard uh ended up six out of 18 but i mean to play 40 minutes on a back-to-back after having not played for two weeks was impressive but charlotte definitely looked like they kind of ran out of gas late washington didn't have a, a ton either the center position was hilarious for washington alex len played the first five minutes of the game they got smacked he never came back in they started the second half with gafford he gets his fourth foul midway through the third and then lopez just played like the last 18 minutes of the game he was he was rolling scott scott brooks definitely pushed it pretty hard in terms of the minutes 
And well, you know, it, conti- Russ, it continues yeah, something that we saw in a game immediately after this, where the difference between eight and ten in this case, but eight and nine in the other, made these coaches treat this like a like more like a playoff game. We saw generally narrower yeah. rotations. We saw guys play a lot of minutes, and the incentive structure difference between those two is significant. Winning, having to win one out of two games versus having to win two in a row, oftentimes those at least the second one being on the road, but maybe both in certain circumstances, like that is a pretty big advantage. And while it these games are coming on pretty soon in the case well and in the case of the eastern conference teams these will be on tuesday like for the west teams they're actually getting more rest than usual because this the second half of the season has been so bananas that you actually you know get get a little bit of off time between this and and the next thing which is of course a must win of some some stripe yeah so you know cody zeller played 30 minutes i thought he should have played more they played biombo five minutes in the first half and he was negative nine that's when the whiz got back into it for the first time uh so they probably should have played zeller more but again i mean they couldn't get away with pj washington at center as much as they wanted to due to lopez's post presence which was pretty rare lamello i mean he hit some big shots at times but he was still seven to 21 from the field uh, he just he hasn't looked right to me since he came back from the wrist thing like he's had a couple of good games but yeah i mean his shot's been a little off and you know he had robin lopez was a tough matchup for him around the rim he had a bunch of plays where he you know was out of control slammed into lopez's body lopez is a great rim protector so this is a, a good learning experience for, for Lamelo. um i thought jalen mcdaniels was actually pretty solid in yeah. this game um and although they did not close with him they closed with the three guards uh but still couldn't score in the end and yeah i mean it was just seven of 11 to start the game from three and then they finished up seven out of 34 and that was that ultimately was just uh the biggest killer for them um anything else you want to talk about uh, on this one i mean we'll, we'll do well, tomorrow or, or i guess yeah i guess we probably need to do a i think we should we'll probably preview, preview we should probably preview tuesday, tuesday today um but we'll do that let's do that at the kind of the end let's run through sunday and then we can preview tuesday does that make sense yeah yeah because we're going to take tomorrow off since yeah. the, there are no games tomorrow so um, okay so so i'll set where this so so the resolution here and coupled with the indiana win over toronto which occurred at the same time that meant that yeah. the wizard so the celtics are the seven they will host the wizards in the seven eight game then the hornets fall to 10 and the pacers will host them that's the early game on on tuesday and then the other game that happened in this time period time slot which i was not focusing on because hornets wizards was the obvious game that both teams were trying and playing their guys was the knicks versus the celtics and so the Knicks had a lot to play for because winning the game assured them of the four seed and the Celtics were sitting all their guys because we know that they're playing on Tuesday. And so they wanted to make sure their team was there. It ended up being closer, but the Knicks ended up pulling it out. Uh, RJ Barrett, 7-12 from the field for 22 points. Randall got a couple got a couple of opportunities late uh, and got to the free throw line a bunch. But so the Knicks were, able to, Knicks were able to pull out a win and their remarkable season continues as the fourth seed in the East. Yeah, and they uh, will match up uh, against the Atlanta Hawks who also won today but the Knicks have the the tiebreaker over that Hawks beat was it Houston or Orlando it was Houston it was Houston yeah, yeah, so beat, beat um, pretty badly. Yeah, and so and by virtue of the Knicks winning that game and the Heat losing to the Bucks on Saturday, oh boy, is that decision going to have some ramifications for Budenholzer? We'll have to see. But that meant that the, that the um, once the Knicks clinched the four and the Heat lost that game to be the five because of tiebreakers, the Hawks had control of their had, had you know had control of their own destiny they were the five seed won it going away despite not needing too much and then the other kind of interesting wrinkle of this early time slot was phoenix 
theoretically, you know, like there was, you could say there was like a loose incentive for them to win because winning put pressure on Utah because Utah, all Utah's magic number was one. And so Phoenix had lost, then Utah wouldn't have needed to play their guys at all. The second squad for Phoenix, no CP, no Booker, no, no DeAndre Aiden ended up getting a 123-121 win over the Spurs. Each one more hit a game winner, part of his 22 points on 11 shooting possessions for each one more in 21 minutes. And so the Suns pulling that out clarified, moved things forward with the Jazz, so the Jazz had to win. And um, we already knew that the Spurs were the 10th seed. But then that set well, up. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's talk about the uh, um, the East then. I, I, were you still going to talk about the East? Or you talk I was going to move to Warriors Grizz, but we can... Yeah. We well, okay, so so let's let's talk more about the East here because well that then we finished up with uh the Nets beating Cleveland, including having one of the most ridiculous highlights of the year. Check that out on Twitter if you haven't seen it yet. Uh but so they beat Cleveland. That meant that the Bucks could not get the two seed. They could not uh, avoid the Miami Heat. But yesterday, they could have fixed it so they avoided the Miami Heat, a Miami Heat team that wanted to win that game by losing. And they really had no reason not to take it easy. And they didn't play their guys a billion minutes, but they took a nice early lead against Miami, went up by 20 early on. Jimmy Butler didn't play due to back soreness in that game. But basically, if recall from our earlier pods, Milwaukee could have essentially ensured that Miami got into the 4-5 and that they could have played the Knicks in the 3-6 rather than being stuck now with Miami who uh as you may recall uh, beat these Milwaukee Bucks last year now I think this Bucks team is better equipped to win in the playoffs and I also don't think that this is that same Miami team that totally caught lightning in a, in a bottle so I'm not going to pick the Bucks to lose that series but if you look at the overall path now for the Bucks it's murderous Danny and they could at least have made it easy on themselves in the first round I mean, they basically face the hardest potential opponent reasonably available in every round. Like it's to, to yeah. get through it. Like you can make you can make an argument that other than the Bucks, the three most dangerous teams in the Eastern Conference are in and are the Nets, the Nets and the Sixers in either order, and the Heat. And remember, we're not counting the Bucks because they are the Bucks. And Milwaukee presumably has to beat all three of them, whereas the Nets would only have to beat two, and the Sixers may only have to beat one. Well, and so a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, well, if you're going to win a championship, like, you can't be scared of anyone. Like, if they're going to lose to the Heat, they weren't going to win the championship. Anymore. Well, okay, no, that's probably true. But let's say Giannis Adekupo sprains his ankle at the end of game two and misses two games in the series. And now you lose to Miami in six, even though you were better than them. Whereas if you had played the Knicks or the Hawks, the New York Knicks, yeah, or, or the Hawks, almost certainly the Knicks, you could have survived that. You probably, they probably even would have been favored to win games in that series without Giannis, uh, especially if it were a home game. You know, let, let's say there's something like that, or let's say, you know, you play six games instead of four and, you know, look, go back and look at like the Warriors, for example, had a chance to close out Houston in 2019. They didn't. Kevin Durant fucks up his calf in game five of that series and you know never comes back and then ends up tearing the achilles and they don't win the championship because of that 
because they that series was harder than maybe it needed to be they had a very difficult matchup or there's a, a bunch of seating shenanigans that year as well and so it's just to not like yeah there's pride oh you don't you want to communicate to your team that you're not scared of anyone and blah blah and, and mike boone was like yes it doesn't make sense to try to manipulate the seating i'm like okay yeah it doesn't make sense to try to manipulate the seatings for a four-week period but this was very cut and dried uh and they could have done it yeah. just for that one game and then played their guys against the bulls if they wanted to yeah, exactly. So it really, I mean, we'll we'll see. You know, maybe they sweep Miami and, you know, they, they feel great about themselves and they go in and they, they beat the Nets. And so this doesn't make their task impossible, but there's just no reason not to make it easier on yourself. And frankly, I, I mean, this is as sad as it is to say, we'll go through this here, but the best organizations in basketball know what the incentives are and they align with them. Yeah, and is now the time that I again make my impassioned argument for choosing opponents, or should we wait until after? Clippers no, no, let's six? let's wait until we talk about how ridiculous the West got here. Also, oh, so um, so we're at so, the point yeah. now where we can just lay out what the Eastern Conference playoffs looks like. So yes. Philadelphia had already clinched the one seed. So and and they ended up beating Orlando anyway. But Philly's the one. Brooklyn is the two. And so those two teams, we don't know who they're going to face. Um, then the Nets will face the winner of Celtics Wizards, and then the Sixers will face the team that comes out. Bucks play the Heat in what has to be at the moment the number one series that could change based on what happens in the play-in, and then Knicks. Hawks, which is going to be fascinating as a series. That'll be um, the 4-5 in the Eastern Conference. And then the West playoffs picture started with a game that was it's on its own in the time in its time slot. And um, you were you lucky enough to attend, which was that Memphis Warriors game, which had in some ways similar stakes to Wizards Hornets in that the winner got the eighth seed and the loser in this case was the ninth. Yeah, and there's a, a very good chance in both of those that we could see a rematch of those two teams. So, yeah, let, let's pick it up here. And I thought it was really interesting to see what the strategy was going to be for both teams guarding each other. And Dylan Brooks, I thought, did a really nice job, as good as you can, on Stephen Curry when you're not switching. It's There's only so much that you can do. Uh, but Brooks, and he talked about it after the game, he just committed too many dumb fouls that didn't involve Stephen Curry and ended up fouling out in what might have been the most important play of the game. Brooks was actually plus seven. They lost to by 12 memphis started off great 18-7 and dominating on the interior primarily valanchunas was getting put backs they were getting things around the basket and team floater of course yeah and they hit six out of ten on floaters in the first quarter uh but steph got off a little bit when they took brooks out of the game and went to d'anthony melton brooks i mean was really face guarding him he was denying him he, some of those dho's they just couldn't get it because brooks uh, was on him and so steph and draymond started to figure him out though kind of the same way that they did with Facundo Campazzo in those games against the Nuggets. Uh, but the Warriors, because of all the attention being given to Steph, of course, got a bunch of back doors. So they were seven of eight at the rim in the first quarter, but they really struggled on jumpers. They only made two out of their first 13 jump shots in the game and then finally a, a few of those started to go down one of the key stretches was right at the start of the second 
when they took John Morant out. They went to Jaron Jackson Jr. at center, which has not really worked very well since Jackson has returned. And they put Clark in as well. And Clark hasn't really been the same guy, though he had some some good deflections defensively at times. And that's when they just got run. They they couldn't score. They scored one point in the first four minutes of the quarter, and the Warriors broke out to about a 10-point lead, which they largely would maintain most of the way uh, until they got up to a 17-point advantage at the end of the third. Um, but the Grizz also just couldn't shoot the ball. They finished up 6 out of 25 from downtown. John Morant had a memorable sequence where nobody was was within 15 feet of him. He missed a 3. They got the offensive rebound right back to him. He missed another 3. Draymond, the one 3 that he did make, Draymond was on him and basically just literally turned his back to him and, and walked away from him. Uh, Brooks had a big scoring run right at the beginning of the fourth when the Grizz got back into it yeah I thought th- I thought but, that was actually the most important stretch of the game for Memphis but it ended up oh, sure. giving yeah. them the win um but then also you know they weren't shooting it well enough from two either they got to the rim a lot a lot of floaters but after that six of ten start they were you know pretty average on those and then at the rim they just kept kept getting stopped and it reminded me a lot of the Warriors defense and Draymond Green is obviously a component of this of the Warriors defense during the glory years when they give up a fair amount of penetration so teams would shoot a lot of floaters on them a lot of shots at the rim but they would shoot a poor percentage on that and then it would juice the transition offense uh so and, and and along yeah. the lines of kind of where the like the, the angles of this game and the playoff rotations both in this one and the in the Wizards Hornets game, Steve Kerr only played eight players. And Juan Toscano Anderson, I thought that he really gave them a jolt off the bench, knows his role within the offense, plays hard on defense, did look like he turned his ankle late. Well, I haven't heard anything definitive on that yet. And then the only other two Warriors to play off the bench were Michael Mulder, who played 15 minutes, and then Jordan Poole, who did the hybrid that he's been doing a fair amount, where he comes off the bench, but plays a little bit with the starters as well. Yeah, and Poole uh, has given them a pretty nice element at the end of games. I mean, he's almost like turning into a kind of curry light with some of the off-ball stuff that he's doing he had a big uh relocate three at the end once uh, the Grizz had gotten back into it uh the defensive matchups were fascinating they started off and basically the whole first half they had Steph actually on Morant in part because I think because they just wanted Steph to not have to guard Dylan Brooks or Kyle Anderson and in fact when they tried to when Steph would get caught on Dylan Brooks they actually would post up Brooks and the Warriors wouldn't even never even let Brooks get a shot off on Steph in that situation they double teamed and Brooks actually set up a a couple of nice plays out of that then in the second half though they went to Kent Bazemore and they hid Curry on Kyle Anderson and Anderson was key in the second quarter I think he had 10 of their 20 points in the second quarter with the the slow-mo game and and he he outsmarted Kevon Looney first he shot a mid-ranger over him and pick and roll where Looney didn't contest well enough and then the next time Looney was like, right, I can't let him get this off. So Anderson pump faked him in the air and drew a foul. So he, he had a nice fourth quarter. They didn't really get, or second quarter, they didn't really give him many chances in the second half. Um, uh, what else you got on this one? Uh, there were some really turnover happy stretches this game. It ended up being that the, the Grizzlies had 12 steals of the 19 turnovers that they got from the Warriors. And then the Warriors had nine steals on 12 turnovers. Each Helped each team get out and transition. There were stretches of this game where both teams looked so much better in transition offense than half court. I think you give a lot of credit to how well the defenses were playing. And then the other thing that happened, you, you brought it up, but I think it's worth spending a little bit more time on, was that once Dylan Brooks came out of the game in the fourth quarter, once he fouled out, Memphis just didn't know how they wanted to handle Steph Curry and then he really got loose and that is what what kind of functionally ended the game. Brooks fouled out with 6-12 to go, and it was 
the game was in touch then. It was 90. Was, so his foul out was on, it was on Draymond Green. It was a tie game at that point. And, and then that, and then from that, you know, Steph went off. There was this sequence. It was funny. I, I don't know if you had the exact same thought I did. They kind of double trailed Curry out to almost the half court line. He passed the ball to Draymond Green. I'm like, oh, Curry's getting an open three here because he just works harder and he works so fast. And Jaron Jackson, who had some really, who had a really nice possession on Curry and ISO earlier in the game, just didn't know what was coming. Curry sprints straight by him. Draymond throws the drop pass, knows exactly where he's going to be and drills the three. Yeah, it's rare that you can go back door and get a three-pointer, but that's how badly Jaron Jackson got beat on that. Like, he went out to double-team, then, uh, you know, he was, like, real intense, and Steph gives the ball up at half-court, and Jaron Jackson just relaxed, and he's like, Jaron, you're at (laughs) half-court. Like, you're not doing any good relaxing out there. Uh, So, you know, Jaron obviously just needs to get better. It was a tough circumstance for him coming out of this long layoff, and he looks okay athletically. You mentioned the the ISO defense. He had a couple of nice poke-aways defense but also reaches a ton he had three fouls in the first half couple of bad bad ones one pretty rough call when i thought he went pretty vertical on it um so that that was pretty ugly um yeah and steph basically had three three pointers in a row it was 197 and steph makes three threes in a row to make it 109 97 and the game was over in the last five minutes and memphis also you know the warriors with because memphis had valanchunas out there and you know they didn't really ever try to do much switching so with valanchunas guarding the post a bunch of times they did the play where they get it into the post and then have the center screen staff to the strong side and get wide open and melton just got obliterated on that screen a couple of times and they just weren't ready for it they the guy who was guarding the screener looney just had no idea what they were doing so and they had just run the same play they ran it again they got stuff missed the first three got wide open for the next one then he hit a step back and he also hit that one where he went back to aura on jaron and so that was about it um andrew wiggins had some yeah. big plays he finished with yes. 21 points 9 to 16 from the field also played some pretty good defense well and, and wiggins i thought this was the case as well and, and he had one of the bigger plays of the game a huge tip dunk to put him up 197 that against phoenix he did this also where he actually impacted the game athletically and that was one of the biggest disappointments about him in minnesota is he's this incredibly athletic guy but he just doesn't play that hard i mean he was making effort plays it had a big big block as well got in transition and yeah to get that supplemental scoring from him was really good uh we mentioned jordan pool again jordan pool his decision making as a driver whether it's on pick and roll or or any other type of play is really outstanding he's making the right decision just about every time either finding the big although sometimes that's kevon looney who has no chance of finishing inside or he'll, he'll spray out a pass to the perimeter for an open three uh juan toscano anderson was also really good in this game although he sprained his ankle late and that'll be something to keep an eye on he was able to return um but they didn't go to him as much down the stretch they went with looney at center said and looney to his credit did have uh five offensive rebounds hilariously the warriors actually got a greater percentage of offensive rebounds than the grizzlies did although those grizzlies offensive rebounds by valanchunas go right back in the basket usually so uh but i think it was really interesting valanchunas 12 15 from the field 29 points 16 rebounds negative 13 you know that kind of tells the story of these big centers against golden state as draymond uh, colorfully pointed out <laughs> after the game and draymond uh, on, uh, draymond finished uh one rebound and one assist short of a good game um and let's see i, I think that's 
but yeah well and, and his 14 points is big too i mean he looks so much more athletic he had a, a tip dunk the other day flying in from the top of the key he uh, had another dunk where, where he kind of got morant a little bit on, on the fake d it shows like he's actually been attacking the rim pretty hard well, and, and he the went three he a went bit more. more aggressive offensively early when curry was just missing a bunch of shots you know in the early part of it i think he kind of thought something had to come from somewhere it wasn't going to come from baseball yeah. only took one shot in the whole game and so draymond took on more of the creation load and i thought he did pretty well and then when curry then when curry had had it going then you know see the studio space and oh that's the other story of this game is that curry only needed three points to win the scoring title over bradley beal and he got 46 so stephen curry finished the season with 31.8 points per game ahead of beal's 31.4 damian lillard finished third at 28.9 yeah, 16 of 36 from the field for Curry, 9 of 22 from 3. 36, the most field goal attempts he's ever taken in a game. Second most is actually back in that 2013 series against the Spurs. Might have even been the, the double overtime game that they lost. I think it was. After giving up the 17-point lead, the Richard Jefferson missed free throws game. And... 9 and 22 from 3 is actually the most three-pointers he's ever attempted in a game as well. The highest had been 21, most recently against uh, OKC a couple of weeks ago. Uh, also had 9 assists, but 7 turnovers as they did do a pretty good job of bottling him up at times in the game. Uh, if he gets an isolation, he can't isolate from the wing or the baseline. Because the problem is, the reason his isolations are successful against bigger players, number one, is when he drives, he can pass it out to all angles from the top but number two he just has room to back up way further make the guy play in more space because he can hit it from anywhere he's limited in how far he can back up in the corner and also it's just much easier to get your help responsibilities right so he should bring the ball up to the top of the key if he gets isolated against a big uh because when he tried to drive in along the baseline like the one uh, against jaron was with the the poke the poke way that i'm thinking of was was a corner drive yeah so i mean we'll talk more about if these teams match up again i mean that is the most likely outcome you know memphis will be favored at home against san antonio we'll talk about that on tuesday night surely um and uh warriors lakers we'll talk about how the lakers part of that came to be but yeah i mean that's gonna be pretty awesome for the first ever play-in to feature steph versus lebron um let's let's talk about the rest of this crazy west picture though and so i think the place to begin is just like what the incentives were for all of these teams and what would happen the two big inflection points were the portland denver game and the clippers okc game but with a tad of lakers pelicans and mavs wolves involved as well yeah and part of why it was so complicated and interesting is because you had these two jockeyings going on at for different slots that were also affecting who was going to play each other in the round because you have the three four between the the nuggets and the clippers and then you have the the five six seven between the blazers the mavericks and the lakers and so the three four pretty straightforward there um, Denver was a game ahead of, so basically if Denver, no, they, they were tied, they were tied, but Denver had the tiebreaker. So yeah. if, if they had the same result or Denver won and the Clippers lost, Denver has the three Clippers have the four, but if the Clippers won and the Nuggets lost, then Nuggets would be the four and the Clippers would be the three. And that was only possible because of the unbelievable tank job that the Clippers did in their previous game against the Houston Rockets. And this is something that you and I talked about, talked about ahead of time was that the Rockets were so clear 
of from the field in terms of worst record that they you know it's not like they were going to play their best guys like we didn't see that but there wasn't any kind of there wasn't any reason to lose you know like organizationally and I don't think that's why they beat the Glibbers but that was a part of it so you had that as the the dynamic in the four five and then in the five six seven it was a kind of a complicated series of factors in terms of what you necessarily wanted. Now, everybody kind of, the so the Mavericks couldn't finish worse than sixth. So for them, you know, you could argue about whether you'd rather be the five or the six. They didn't know who was going to be the three or the four. So yeah. kind of get the, it all. Their incentive, though, was to avoid facing the Clippers, which they did not. Which they failed. And then, um, but Portland wanted to win because that gets them, and this is such an interesting difference from in previous years, because you could make an argument, depending on how you feel about the Clippers and some of the other teams, that if let's say the Clippers were the three, which they are not, were going to be the three, that you would rather be the seven than the six. And so that could have led to Portland losing to try to get to face the Suns. However, the play-in creates a lot more risk. You can lose that game and fall to the eight. You can lose that game and make it all the way out of the playoffs entirely. So everybody behaved like making the play-in was bad. Like that was something you really didn't want to do. So Portland wanted to win and the Lakers obviously wanted to win because that was the only way they could potentially get out of the play-in even though they had no guarantee that was going to happen. Yeah, and so the Clippers, they wanted to drop to four because they would rather face Utah in the second round rather than the Lakers Phoenix winner and so that was and uh the Oklahoma City Thunder I, I don't know if you heard this Danny but they I, I think they uh, they've been trying to lose games you think they, the the only that, thing that could that have the only thing that could have made this more amusing was the insanity that it would have driven in you if OKC had won one more game over the course <laughs> of the season and this tanktastic extravaganza would have been also with the over under on the line um it was not and so the thunder winning uh, but it's that's really a shame though i mean it, it should have this absolute farce like but honestly let's, let's if that honestly if end, that yeah. had happened we would have done it for a live show like probably like that would have been we would have considered it mostly just i mean i'm sad i'm sad that i didn't actually turn it on at the end i should i should have just done it even just sitting here but by, by myself um I was just cackling. It didn't, yeah, it, it was, I mean, it, we'll talk about some of the plays at the end, but, but let's set the stage for what happened here. So all these games tipped off basically at the same time. Denver, you know, Mike Malone was kind of saying what they're going to do at the beginning, but not really saying it. And he said, yeah, you know, I don't know if guys are going to play their normal minutes, but hey, you know, we want to get guys some work. And then if we're there at the end, maybe we'll try and win or whatever. Uh, but Denver, very happy, I'm sure, uh, to be facing the Blazers in the first round. I think they have a fair amount of confidence against them. The Blazers is the easiest matchup, I think, that they could have had um, because I think Porzingis gives them problems. Luka gives them problems. They at least, you know, they played a seven-game series against the Blazers. Like They at least know them, and they, they know that they're going to be able to score uh, plenty uh, against the Blazers. So, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't, I'll have to think very seriously about who I'm going to pick that in that series. But the Blazers started the game 11-0. They made their first five three-pointers denver got it ended up being 132 116 uh but that was but it was 43 22 at the end of the first quarter yeah it never really got closer than 15 uh dame scored some in the second half cj was awesome in the first half uh hitting a bunch of threes so and it, it devolved into garbage time Jokic had 21 points in 17 minutes but he played basically only i think he played only in the first half i was pretty tuned out in that game marcus howard though 23 points he's been putting up uh some points and some garbage time at, at times for the nuggets so 
Portland won. That meant that the LA Lakers were going to be locked into the seven seed. Had the Lakers lost against New Orleans, they won at some cost potentially. Uh, had they just lost that game against New Orleans and they could have shut it down, it was very clear that Portland was going to win this game early. Uh, then the Blazers actually would have been the five seed playing against the Clippers because the Mavs lost also a three, but instead it's a three way tie, which the Mavs win. Blazers have the tiebreaker over the over the Lakers. They're six. Lakers are seven. Had the Lakers fallen out of that three way tie, the Blazers actually had the tiebreak against the Mavs. But because it's a three way tie, the Mavs get five because they're the Southwest Division champions. Hang that banner, Mavs. Although the Mavs would have rather have not been the Southwest Division champions and probably would have rather played it against Denver rather than uh, the Clippers. And I mean, the Mavs have just it got fucked again. You know, it looked it looked for so long. Danny, like the Mavs were doing pretty well. They were going to get the five seed. That was going to be great. They were going to avoid the Clippers and then the Clippers by losing these last two games. Plymouth Rock landed on the them. Four seed. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I mean, they lost to Houston and Oklahoma City. That is just. Well, so let's set the table with, every, with everything else first. Event. So, yeah. So Portland wins. That means they can't finish worse than six. Dallas loses to Minnesota. Luca plays 21 minutes. Porzingis plays 26. Edwards drops 30 on 21, 21 shot, 10 to 21 from the field. Towns, Towns has a good game. I didn't watch a ton of that one because once it kind of looked like it was going in a specific direction, Minnesota was up 38-22 at the end of the first quarter in that one. So you had that in concert with the Portland game. You're like, oh, okay, I think I know where that story is going. But then um, Utah took care of business against Sacramento, didn't have to play their best players a lot, though Conley got 22 minutes. Good good to see him back out there. And Gobert played 28. They handled, they handled the Kings without too much of a problem. And then the Lakers, you know, as things turned out, they didn't need to win that game against the Pelicans. They ended up being kind of locked into their seed, though the games technically ended at the same time. We kind of knew where things were going. But they, you know, they still played their guys. There was a chance when when that game started that they were going to be something other than the seven seed. And we'll have to see how that turns out. Well, that Lakers-New Orleans game, which they won 110-98, obviously New Orleans uh, is not playing anybody these days. But a lot of the decision-making was pretty strange. I mean, there's, yeah, the Lakers had the slight carrot that if Portland lost, that they could get up into being the sixth seed. Although, and the way it was set up, because the Clippers had lost to Houston, there was no possible way that the Lakers could face the Clippers in the first round. By the way, it's they're just like two magnets those teams they're just can never face each other in the playoffs (laughs) i think that no matter what happens i mean there have been so many times when it was about to happen like 2006 and it just didn't and we hoped it would happen last year the clips are up 3-1 and then they blow that so uh and then they're they're now on opposite sides of the bracket once more so they aren't going to play each other until well the conference finals if it does happen unless the the lakers yeah unless the lakers end up being the eight seed which is one of the more wild scenarios that is out there is because then you have a a pretty loaded side of the bracket there um but but my point is i don't i don't know why the lakers were so i mean lebron just played yesterday coming back off yet another absence to supposedly get right and then he plays again on a back-to-back when and he's like yeah i'm feeling a little bit of soreness they play him on a back-to-back which i don't maybe he just like against against a team that's not against a team that's not trying and doesn't want to win right well yeah 
so there's that aspect and then also just the fact that anybody with a brain knew that the blazers were massive massive favorites in this denver series so and then lebron is out there late and actually steps on Nikhil alexander walker's foot i think it was alexander walker and kind of gets like a little bit of uh like that twist uh, on the high ankle again and he seemed like he was fine and he's smiling but you know hopefully nothing that it, it's just i, I kind of what i'm expecting from lebron we'll talk more about this on the preview is i'm kind of expecting him to play at like the level of reduced effectiveness that Steph Curry had in 2016 when he came back that's sort of like what I think is the reduction in performance is going to be for him but it really I, and then he the, this game was probably already decided at that point the Portland game was really decided like they they just looked at the scoreboard they could have seen that there was no reason to continue to play LeBron because they were locked into seven regardless. So I just didn't really understand why he was out there. Maybe he just wanted to like get his wind or something. But to me, just not injuring the ankle, like go go run some sprints tomorrow if you're really that worried about it. So I, I didn't really understand why he was out there. We'll see. Hopefully it's nothing major, but I didn't understand what they were doing there. But I certainly did understand what the teams were doing in Oklahoma City versus the LA Clippers. Yeah, so the Clippers had control of their own destiny in the sense that if they lost, they were going to be the four seed. And presumably that puts them on the opposite side of the bracket, also puts them on the same side as the Jazz, which maybe they preferred the Jazz to the Suns as a potential second round matchup. We don't quite know. And Oklahoma City structurally wanted to lose because losing gives them a better draft pick. That Basically, the, the difference for Oklahoma City as things turned out was a loss puts them in a tie with the Orlando Magic where they split the number three and number four odds, whereas a win put them in a tie with the Met, with the Cavs for the four slash five odds. And so that's, you know, that's a pretty significant difference in ping pong balls. You never know which number combinations are going to pan out, but you get that. Oklahoma City has basically lost for two months and each team at certain moments in time put their best foot forward and that best foot for the Clippers at times was one former Thunder, Patrick Patterson. <laughs> oh, yeah. So let me just start with the starting lineups here. We'll get to Patterson's performance uh, and some of the minute totals, okay? Avicii Zubac wanted to keep a consecutive games played streak going. So he started the game and committed a foul six seconds into the game to leave. Patrick Beverly, though, played actually 19 minutes and was like doing a bunch of point guard stuff. Uh, they eventually shut him down. Yeah, after a nice that. block too. I think yeah. they pulled Reggie him Jackson, right after the block. Yeah, Reggie Jackson played the first seven minutes and never was seen again. Serge Ibaka is back. They wanted to get him a little bit of run. He played 19 minutes. So the Thunder were even more hilarious though. So you know, all right, Shea Gilgis Alexander not playing. Al Horford not playing. Traded away uh, everyone else. We get it. Well, I don't know. We, we we might be too good here. Maybe let's rest Darius Baisley too. I mean, I know he's he's been a part of this team that's lost you know twenty of their last twenty one games or whatever it is, and has uh, had the the worst point differential over a twenty five game span of any team in NBA history. But let, let's just sit. Let's just be safe. Hey, Kenrich Williams. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's let's sit him down too. Sveen Mikhailuk. Ah, now we, we wouldn't want anybody who could make a three-pointer. That's not a great idea. Let's uh let's sit him down. Uh, Ty Jerome. No, nope, it's you're still. It's a, a calf injury. No, it's an ankle injury. No, man, we can't we can't decide. Let's, let's just sit him down. It's okay. Let's just sit, call him a DMP coach's decision. We're gonna start Poku, uh, Isaiah Roby, Josh Hall, Moses Brown. Poku plays 41 minutes. Josh Hall plays 43 minutes. Josh Hall, remember, mentioned on this podcast for the first time. He's on a two-way. He's uh, played, uh, drafted actually out of prep school. Really athletic guy. Uh, had some impressive moments, like legitimately good basketball impressive moments in this game. Uh, Moses Brown, 38 minutes. And uh, Teo Maladon, 
plays 13 minutes in the first half he's plus 11 ah now we better sit him down he's our only healthy guard better put him on the bench isaiah roby uh yeah you know we we got him for absolutely nothing last year and you know but but he's had a couple good ones hey it's plus eight in 12 minutes all right better sit his ass on the bench too let's uh gotta bring in uh charlie brown jr and jalen horde we're gonna play tony bradley and moses brown together as well gabrielle deck come on down he's got a little too much feel for the game though we don't want to play him more than, than 18 minutes uh he's plus two we can't close with him and of course poku starts the game six of six from the field he's he played point guard i don't think he, he didn't come out in the entire second half uh finished up 29 points six of nine from three two assists seven turnovers plus two we'll get to the end of the game what a tour de force that was so but just just the minute totals alone and the player usage i mean it was truly incredible and yet yet somehow danny the clippers outclassed them and i think even i don't know if we want to go possession by possession at the end but i think the greatest reflection oh, oh well this, i i mean i can't i can't speak for you but i'm afraid i but i'll I, but so i'll i'll skip one i'll say one part of it as a representation of the whole thing pokashevsky makes a a three-pointer with 48 with 49 seconds to go to <laughs> to put the clip to put the the thunder up three the clippers dribble the ball around for the entire possession and then daniel oturu a a big man takes a 19 foot jump shot at the end of the shot clock which he misses so you're like oh you're down three you need to get a two for one and you get a and you have to shoot a three you know you have to shoot a three and you have to have it if you're if your goal is to win the game yeah, or if you're not going to get the two for one you're you're down three you got it you got to go faster than and that. they're like no we're good we're gonna do that yeah. and then punch punch five to i mean uh <laughs> tyloo called punch five like a post up for the five man which is a toro he called that they probably ran that play 10 times in the fourth quarter for a guy who finished the game five out of 21 and basically was just like trying to face up and just shoot a jumper over like seven two moses braun on every possession it was in, like i mean I, I probably actually would credit Ty Lu for this uh loss for the clippers more than anyone else I, like dignot at least well it like it was a reminder yeah. of the whole thing like players don't tank but in this one it was a reminder that sometimes coaches can where if all you do is call plays for your team's worst players your office is going to look real bad i i mean this is the most blatant of this that i've ever seen I mean, and, and dignot certainly tried to do it with the player usage but this uh, with Ty Lu was just incredible. I mean, so they were calling just straight post-ups for Atoru. They called a play where they post up Atoru and then they screened Patrick Patterson to the foul line for a mid-range jumper, which got blocked from behind. Uh, I, I tweeted out many of just these incredible plays that were just so well, pathetic by both was, teams. And, maybe yeah. my favorite one was the one that got a replay review where Poku, oh, yes. Poku throws an absolute missile to no one well but, actually i mean that was actually probably charlie braun like charlie braun would have been open for a layup but uh yeah i mean poku as is his want just throws this pass that just ends up in the stands and no chance of being but completed. but it, the clippers put a hand got it got a finger on it so they reviewed it, uh, it oh, oh you know who it was you got a finger on it danny one daniel Aturu. good job daniel Aturu. clippers and so- lvp tonight mvp tonight the value he did exactly what they wanted and and so that led to that led to a replay review the refs ruled correctly that it was still thunder ball and then that is when josh hall got in got an and one he got fouled yeah. by canard the, the clippers were actually up at this point like canard yeah. hit a jumper on the baseline 
and like i was because one of the funniest things about it was it was tied a couple of times in the last three minutes and i'm like well like someone has to score here like you can't just not score the rest of the way like you don't have a choice no we can't go home unless one of these teams scores again and so like canard hit that one i think it was like off an offensive rebound uh patrick patterson who i joked during the game when he couldn't hit anything and he played the entire second half by the way as did otoro uh, you know not a surprise uh that patrick patterson still can't hit a shot for okc because obviously okc wanted him to make shots for the clippers so they could lose then he actually finished up he had like a pretty sick dunk on the baseline at, at one point in the last like four minutes um but yeah the clips uh just just enough daniel otoru uh got him through it and poku the crazy thing about poku who was like the secret weapon for the thunder tanking for a lot of the year that he would actually win it for him with a three off the dribble up top with 40 seconds left well, it was, and it was poku, just poku six for nine from three got 10 of 19 from the field got to the line a couple times had a couple of nice passes also at that pass also had seven yeah. turnovers um but it was i mean it was point poku for a lot of the second half and uh no it was point po- poku for the entire second half like they yeah. did not play a guard the entire second half yeah that's true and and they won they won the basketball game uh terrence mann was playing at half speed but he just went on like a five point run so they had to take him out of the game as well jay scrub was in there uh as well for the clippers yogi farrell clanked a couple shots uh late yeah yogi farrell had had some chances uh but you know far be it for them to actually like run a pick and roll for him uh as well or or like run a pick and roll for canard for example i mean the clippers i mean this is how bad this basketball was they had 17 assists on 45 field goals and the thunder had 20 assists on 50 made field goals <laughs> it was incredible it's so bad well and so there co- so bad a, a couple other thing ripple effects of this game for historical purposes the clippers did still make enough of their free throws to be the to have the highest free throw shooting percentage in nba history okay but important they did they they were 10 of 43 from three the clippers had a chance to have the strongest three-point shooting season with the longer three-point line in NBA history. However, going 10 of 43 actually pushes them below the 2009-10 Suns for third on that list. Technically, the 96-97 Hornets have it. Del Curry was on the team. Glenn Rice was on the team. But that was with the shorter three-point line, so we kind of count that differently. It's the 15-16 Warriors that have the the true mark of 41.6%. The Clippers ended up at, they were started the day at 41.4. They end the day at 41.1 for the season. I actually did the numbers myself because i care i and i think we all do care i mean we are glad that you care so uh three plays i tweeted all of these out during the game uh that i thought really captured this patrick patterson misses a three atoru gets the offensive board goes up gets completely stuffed by moses brown josh hall gets it dribbles down floor and then dribbles behind his back and basically throws a left-handed pass to his own bench behind his back as he was attempting to drill behind his back tony bradley gets the rebound there aren't any guards to get the outlet so tony bradley just dribbles the ball up <laughs> and Forgot about that one like does three spin moves and then does an unintentional hook shot off the glass from the dotted line that goes in they call for this patrick patterson mid-ranger it gets blocked jay scrub is exhausted just throws a pass across the court right to jalen horde then jalen horde goes down gets stripped gets the ball back and drills 
and the referees even got in on the terrible basketball and called a double dribble which was the wrong call because the ball got hit out of his hands and it hit the ground again and he got called for a double dribble again it was just uh, we're gonna be talking about this forever and i mean especially god i hope the thunder just like don't get what they want in the lottery now and i mean for the clippers they got this matchup uh, against dallas i mean they probably would have rather have had portland actually but i think just being in the second round not having to face the lakers and face utah instead was clearly what they were trying for so we'll see maybe maybe they will play utah and get completely destroyed but i mean if i were them i probably would have done the exact same thing or hey maybe the la lakers will just lose to the phoenix suns in the first round or perhaps the la lakers will lose the play into the warriors win get the eighth seed beat utah in the first round and then play the clippers in the second round <laughs> anyway it's it's going to be interesting and i'll lay out how the the lottery worked out too so oh please Houston, as we already knew, finished clear of everyone else, 17 and 55. Two spot alone, Detroit Pistons, 20 and 52. Three. Yeah, they uh they went fucking hard to lose at home to Miami today. I mean, they they I mean let, let, let me just check the box score here just to see plays game. Oh, they actually did play Sadiq Bay 37 minutes. Uh, but Killian Hayes w- was available most of the way. So uh yeah, but Detroit was getting blown out by 20 the entire game. And I mean, that was with, you know, Hero and Duncan Robinson played a little for the Heat. They were obviously taking it pretty easy. Pressure to chew a 42 minutes. So, I mean, they, I wouldn't the say are, the, Pistons... the Heat already knew their fate too, but the heat, it was still better yeah. for the Heat organizationally to win than the Pistons because that allowed the Pistons to seal up the number two seed by themselves. And then another one of the big winners of today by losing to the by losing to the Sixers and the Thunder winning is the Orlando Magic. The Magic go from a split of the number three and number four lottery odds with the thunder to having the third spot by themselves um so at 21 and 51 then the Cavs and thunder are tied at 22 and 50 so they'll split so basically what you do is you combine the number four odds and you combine the number five odds and you combine all those combinations and split them in two and then you do have a you do have a a a coin flip or whatever for who gets who gets the better pick if they end up neither one advancing but odds are one of the two if not both will um yeah and Min- and minnesota winning that puts them in the sixth odds by themselves where they would have been tied four, tie four through four. six yeah if so and but but a lot of this and, and so there'll be a coin flip the coin flip remember you're gonna have the same odds of getting into the top four but the coin flip determines your default order if you don't if neither team bump up into the top four and so now and that really is the reason for tanking pretty hard at this point i mean oklahoma city costs themselves probably only about three percentage points of a chance of uh getting into the top four you know from 48 percent to 45 percent since they're now tied with cleveland but they're in a situation where if they lose the coin flip they can kind of be the five seed in the lottery but could end up being a lot lower depending on if teams below them end up jumping up and given the odds surely a team or two is going to do that yeah it's just whether they'll Uh, jump up too is is kind of the question because of how the how flattened the lottery odds are so then the wolves ended up in sixth by the the six best lottery odds by themselves that means yeah this is one where i mean yeah i guess they wanted to just like get this nice narrative of winning games at the end they finished five and five in their last 10 but like if you think you're going to be good next year there's there's an argument in terms of losing some extra ones so you can get that last piece and you're going to give away a better pick the following year it makes it more likely that the obligation gets out the most likely place it conveys is as the seventh pick which the warriors would get the warriors get it if it's fourth or worse um so it's a 9.6 chance of being fourth zero percent chance of being fifth 8.66 
37th, 20.68, 3.89, and then a, a fifth of a percent for for 10th. Then you have the Raptors by themselves. Then you have a three-way tie because the Bulls won. They beat the, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And also that prevented what I believe it would have been a central division sweep for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I believe so. Yeah. Central um, division is not very good. No, it is not. And so instead of having the seventh best odds for themselves, sorry, the eighth best odds for themselves, they're now in an 8-9-10 merging with the uh, with the Pelicans and the Pelicans and the Kings. And then the remainder of yeah. it, we're going to have so, to see. So by winning that game, basically the, the Bulls cost themselves about a 6% chance uh, of keeping their pick. Um, but to be now in this tie, uh, but, and, but that's actually probably if you're Orlando, you would have actually wanted them to lose that game because then they would have been just seated higher if they didn't get into the top four. And if they do get in the top four, then the bulls get to keep their pick. So Orlando, you actually wanted them to probably, uh, I mean, I guess it just depends. Is it a, you rather have a 6% less chance of keeping your pick or would you rather have your pick, if you do get it, be higher? You know, tough call. Probably I would rather have had the pick be higher, but uh, it's kind of weird with this being a five-player draft, what some of the incentives are here. Yeah, and and then we don't know the rest of it because we don't know which teams are going to get knocked out in the plan. Um, so we'll have to kind of see how all that works out. Yeah, as of now, Charlotte and San Antonio are tied for 11. Indiana is 13 and Memphis would be 14, but that would could see some differing changes there in the play-in. So is that all we have to talk about here other than previewing the East playing games on Tuesday? Yeah, I think so. All right, well, let's talk about Washington and Boston first. And the biggest thing that pops out to me is, does it make sense for Washington, given how limited Bradley Beal was, to just rest him in that game and just put all everything on the line to make the playoffs and be the eighth seed with a home game on Thursday where you're kind of risking Beal. You know, we'll see how sore he is after this game. I'm guessing he's probably going to be sore um, because when you come back when you're not ready like he is, you know, you just, you get more swelling in it. And, you know, it's possible that he could be in worse shape coming into Tuesday than he was today because he he pushed it so hard. So I don't think they're going to do this. It's kind of not the way the Washington Wizards organization thinks. They don't really, they're, they're not very forward thinking, even when forward is four days from now. Maybe you at least think very seriously, though, about if it gets out of hand or he doesn't look great sh- shutting him down immediately. Um, particularly because, I mean, obviously getting in is the big thing, especially when your owner is Ted Leonsis, but I would probably rather play Philly than Brooklyn. I mean, that's that's not the be-all, end-all, but it's a small component of it, at well, least. And, and while the Celtics have had a very rough close to the season, they also haven't had even most of their rem- of remaining available players together. Robert Williams has been missing time due to turf toe. Um, they're hoping that he's going to be ready for Tuesday. You know, we should see a full Kemba Walker, Marcus Smart, and Fournier will be out there. Jalen Brown obviously won't be because he's he'll be back in about three months is kind of when he'll be able to resume yeah. basketball activities. By the way, uh, I mean, given what the timetable is my guess and there's even there's something out of boston it's like oh he quit on this team it's like my guess actually is because it seemed like he was playing with this already it wasn't something that happened acutely 
I think that they were just like, hey, we're not going anywhere this season. Have the surgery now because you need to have it now so you can be ready for next year. If we wait another three weeks, you might not be ready for next year. I think that's kind of what the thing was. And I, I understand that. Yeah, as, uh, it's definitely it's definitely not that, what yeah. Dallas did with Kristaps Porzingis. <laughs> so, yeah, so Kemba missed this game. I mean, it sounds like other than Robert Williams, who's been dealing, you know, kind of day to day with this turf toe, I would expect everyone to play for Boston. Um, and kind of interesting because this Wizards defense, there are sort of like a Bucks light where they protect the rim a ton, but this Boston team doesn't really need to get to the rim. And then you also have the issue for the Wizards defending Boston where Alex Len, Daniel Gafford, Robin Lopez trying to defend Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum off the pick and roll much as we saw with the Sixers had trouble with that last year Boston doesn't get to the rim they shoot threes off the dribble so it's not really a great matchup for this Washington defense right and on the other end of the floor some of it will depend on whether Robert Williams is available I think that having having a reliable rim protector if they can do that instead of they had to rely a lot on the unicorn at the last couple days that would make a big difference for the Celtics and but also if Bradley Beal is limited or not playing then Marcus Smart becomes more valuable because you could just sick him on the remaining guard presumably Russell Westbrook and he'll make life incredibly difficult Washington's going to have to get out and transition they're going to have to make those opportunities because their half-court defense I think is our half-court offense is going to really struggle and another thing with this series is or with this game is that Tatum has at times struggled to create one-on-one against good defenders the Wizards have no good forward defenders so I think he'll be able to get to his spots a little bit better. Yeah, the defense of Boston against Washington's offense, you mentioned transition. I mean, that was huge. That was, the Hornets kept them under wraps for a while in transition, and then uh, they ran into trouble. You know, Boston, I think, does is going to do a very good job in terms of personnel. You know, the, there are a bunch of times where the Hornets closed out way too hard on Ish Smith at the three-point line, and he drove in and made a play. Like, Boston's not going to do that. They're going to know who not to guard for the Wizards, and there are a lot of those players. Who Kemba Walker guards will be fascinating. You know, Russell Westbrook will try to take him down into the post if he's guarding him. Do you put it, I mean, because they're starting Hachimura and Bertans at this point. So how, how are you going to deal with that? Are you going to put him on Hachimura and then maybe just double team Hachimura and make him be a passer, which he's not great at? Or do you put him on Russ? And then, then you've got Marcus Smart, who I think if you're not going to switch Marcus Smart guarding Bradley Beal, I mean, that's that's probably not who I want to play nursing a sore hamstring who's really just going to get into you. Um, but I think Boston, uh, particularly against this Wizards team, would be smart to switch more and try to go to some of Grant Williams at center. I don't think that they're going to do that. Maybe even have Tristan Thompson do some switching as well because, you know, Beal with the hamstring, Russell Westbrook doesn't really shoot well enough to be a great one-on-one player at this point in his career and they also don't have a ton of shooting on this team those guys you can help off of so if you switch and you get into a bad matchup it's pretty easy to send help against this team whereas Beal coming off of screens off the ball Bertans coming off of screens off the ball Westbrook's an excellent passer uh playing conventional pick and roll defense um that that I think particularly when Robin Lopez is not in the game I would be wanting to do more switching how they deal with Lopez will be interesting I if I, I were them I'd probably be like fronting in the post on Robin Lopez as crazy as it is to say that but really more just trying to attack him with high pick and roll at the other end particularly Kemba I think he could have a monster game if you're they're going up against this drop coverage and Kemba quietly I know it's been really disappointing lately for Boston but Kemba since coming back from his latest injury he's 
he's been putting up like some 30 point games he's been looking pretty good so I, I i think he as is so often in the case for boston since he's joined them i think he's really the key against this washington defense uh you know evan fournier gives them another bomber from the outside as well so i think if boston hits their threes in this game they should be really difficult to beat uh if they don't then it could be a long night because they're not really going to get much at the rim against this Wizards team, I don't think. No, I I agree with you. I think that the um, lack of guys for Jace, for to guard Jason Tatum is going to be a significant problem. Like Bertans and Hachimura taking those assignments, I think he'll be able to create some. I, I think Boston's offense is going to be yeah. okay. He also is one of the worst isolation players in the league, though, statistically. Like, I'm actually, if I'm the Wizards, I wouldn't mind baiting him into going against quote-unquote inferior defenders. Sure. Now, Tatum has had some big... I mean, he had that 60-point game. Like, he's had some big games lately, too. But um, And um, also, for, for the health standpoint, um, Hull Neto have, is dealing with a left hamstring strain, and so that puts more, especially if Beal is limited, that puts more pressure on the rest of their backcourt. Though, Ish yeah. Smith has been playing better and some of the other stuff, too. Yeah, and then when you look at the benches, I mean, I don't expect there to be a ton of bench minutes in this game. But, you know, I would say, hilariously, you might even say advantage Boston when it comes to the benches. I do think Washington's going to need to play Garrison Matthews a fair amount uh and just to get some spacing out there because it's chandler hutchison anthony gill the centers ish smith i mean there just isn't a lot of spacing i mean ish kind of has to play and he does really help them juice the pace a lot as well particularly when he plays with westbrook but yeah if they get him into the half court and boston usually does a pretty good job in transition defense i, I want to see how prepared boston is like how seriously they're taking it because usually they are one of the better teams in terms of playoff style preparation but they've kind of you know brad stevens has kind of lost his magic on the defensive end this year and you know it's been just a a desultory year overall so i want to see what level and and this is a team where you know being in the play-in with jalen brown out they don't have a realistic path to doing anything this year they're going to play against brooklyn if they win this game so i'm how boston spirit is and how well they execute and there's they're the smaller team probably the less athletic team particularly if robert williams doesn't play um so yeah that that'll be really interesting should we talk about uh indiana and charlotte i mean i think let's just assume that malcolm brogdon can play i mean he's missed a bunch of time with the hamstring Turner, turner's obviously 29th. not going to play tj warren's yeah. obviously not going to La- play lamb is out warren is out so uh a bunch of guys have been missing time uh karis lavert got a migraine on sunday and, and ended up sitting out uh, against Toronto in a game that they actually needed to win which they did um, but they but were already well ahead by the point they decided not to bring him back yeah yeah i mean this was a game that that was that was big you know uh aaron holiday is out as well he's got a sprained big toe on his right foot uh edmund sumner missed that game at the left knee again these are games that they needed to win i mean they knew they had made the play in but they were hoping to win it so they could at least host that first play in so you know maybe a couple of these guys come back i mean otherwise though holy crap are they thin i mean if you just look at like tj mcconnell in a game where they're getting blown out against the bucks had to play 45 minutes because they literally didn't have anyone else on the guard line to play and even today when they somehow beat Toronto, they just started Levert at point guard, and TJ McConnell came off the bench and played 40 minutes to have 17 assists in this uh, tanktastic game against Toronto, where they played. Toronto played six guys, five of them 41 minutes or more. <laughs> <laughs> in this game because they literally were not going to play anybody else there uh, and th- their lottery position was locked in too so I, I mean really i think 
I would probably favor the Hornets, which crazy is to say they're the healthier team. And particularly, Indiana is just going to really struggle to deal with them on the guard line. You know, they're getting a lot of good play from O'Shea Brissett and Sabonis is back. I think Sabonis can cause some problems for them the same way Lopez did in the post. You know, I think you don't want to play Biombo because of his offense. And so Sabonis can destroy P.J. Washington. So it's going to be a big Cody Zeller game uh, for the Hornets. Um, but I think I would favor the Hornets unless Brogdon comes back. And, and remember, in that case, Brogdon maybe coming back, it's not Brogdon, like 100% Brogdon, probably. it's Yeah, I mean, this he hasn't played since April 29 with the hamstring, and clearly, you know, he, he would be back if he if he could have been these last yeah. couple of games that they're trying to win. Yeah, so, so I, I'll, I mean, I'll, fa- I'll, favor, yeah. I'll favor the Hornets in this one, pending further information that we don't that we don't yet know um indiana yeah, just- it also doesn't exactly seem like indiana i mean they've, they've had a little bit better of a run lately winning the games they're supposed to win with uh you know after the bjorkren news they've like slightly rallied it seems like uh but i would say charlotte probably has a slight coaching advantage in this one as well but i mean you could see indiana winning i mean neither of these are great teams you know you could see tj mcconnell doing mcconnell things and getting a bunch of steals and getting on the fast break and and this one could go either way i, I would just slightly favor the, the hornets uh, the pacers just you know i think they're gonna struggle to deal with the guards in pick and roll if Sumner is not back I don't know what they're going to do defensively against like Rozier for example like are they going to put I mean I guess they'd probably put Justin Holiday on him okay so um, here's one way of but, here's one way of thinking about this yeah 538's Raptor model has the odds of these two play in Eastern Conference play-in games actually about the same Celtics 64 percent Pacers 66 percent yeah how do you feel but about that's yeah, no, I, I mean, I like the Hornets' chances, but I think the Hornets, as constituted right now, with no Brogdon for the Pacers, and I'm kind of, they haven't ruled him out. I'm sure they're going to play the questionable game to fuck with their preparation. It just seems unlikely. Yeah, I'm that, going, that, I, knowing, give, prob, putting all the odds in, I think I'd go 55-45 for the Hornets, and probably 55-45 yeah. for the Celtics as well. Something like that. Oh, I'd go higher than that for the Celtics, I think. Particularly because, uh, you know, we don't know what, what's going to happen with Beal either. And it does, and I think th- there is a little bit of a, particularly for the teams that are on the road if it starts to be a blowout i think there is kind of an incentive particularly with some of the injuries that the whiz have don't fight don't fight for a comeback fight, live to fight another day but you know they, they they maybe won't think the way that i do um let me see if there's any other interesting matchups here goga Bitadze on the second unit he's not a post-up threat so if i were james borrego anytime sabonis is out of the game i would make sure that i went to pj washington at center spread Batadze out on the floor now maybe the pacers would counter there just go jakar sampson and o'shea Brissett up front and so this this game could i could see Batadze playing very little in this one and it being a real small up and down game whenever sabonis is out but you know sabonis probably will be the best player on the floor you know the, the pacers will have that and other than cody zeller who i think even Simonis can do okay against zeller. zeller's not like an unbelievable post defender um and if you can force james borrego to play biombo you've really you've really won uh because of his offensive limitations um obviously the three-point shooting is going to be massive for the hornets and the pacers because the hornets give up a ton of threes they're going to probably junk it up play some zone and the hornets shoot a ton of threes as well so the even more so than usual three-point shooting is going to be massive here all right i think that's all that jumps out about this game to me i'm just excited to see what it's like this is i mean we saw this once 
last yeah, but year. With a, but with crowds, too. At least some crowds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how excited Indiana Pacers fans are going to be for this, necessarily. Hmm. Um, or Celtics fans, for that matter. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. We're, right, we're, well, exci- we're we excited. Can... That's what matters. Yes. Yeah. And also remind you guys particularly if uh we mentioned this before but we did our first little like soft opening on hot mic it was a roaring success every everyone who was on the app really liked it because you can just sync up with us now without having to hit pause and look at the clock on our screen and get your clock the exact same you can actually get our play-by-play the our audio using their app will automatically sync up with where your tv is you just hit the the sync button and you can jump in with us you can also do a live on-screen cameo just talk to us uh, about the game whatever, or, or off screen you if you're more comfortable breaks. with that yeah yeah or just audio yeah if you're uh if you know you're, you're not as dapper as as danny and i are you can still you, you can still get on there um yeah so so that's really fun i mean we'll probably we'll do youtube i think as well just to remind everyone of what we're doing but i, I think hot mic is just a vastly superior platform so we are definitely going to be focusing on that and the reason we're doing it is just because the technology is better no other reason than that and so they got an android app they got a, a an apple app and it's just super easy to do you can even it'll let you keep our audio on while you check twitter at the same time like it, it'll still do like a, a keep alive audio function it's really good so uh hotmic.io or even better just wait for us to tweet the link out on for those games we'll definitely do lakers warriors are we doing anything on tuesday probably not maybe we'll have to see i think we'll, okay. i think we'll probably more more likely maybe we'll do thursday but we'll definitely do lakers warriors on wednesday oh yeah yeah okay yeah so so yeah lakers warriors that's the one locking on that the uh i mean this could be the most awesome playing game that ever happens and it's the first year so or at least we, the we most anticipated well so well <laughs> yeah in terms of the the level of talent on the floor and the uh to have four hall of famers playing that game would be pretty good okay that'll do it for today also a reminder you can check out our mailing list uh nateduncannba.com slash free it's free that's what that slash free is meant to indicate and for prime subscribers we'll be back on tuesday and we'll be doing the locker room pod uh, on tuesday also till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.